Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1087 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is an after dark. I'll be speaking with Jules, who is 25 years old and diagnosed with type 1 diabetes two years ago. Today, we're going to talk about how Jules experiences swings from deep depression to grandiosity and so much more. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you'd like to save 40% off of your entire purchase at CozyEarth.com, all you have to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. If you enjoyed this After Dark, there are dozens more. There's a list available at JuiceBoxPodcast.com. Click up top where it says After Dark, or in the private Facebook group in the Feature tab, there's lists of all the series. And you really should check out that private Facebook group. It's absolutely free. It has close to 44,000 members and it. it actually adds 150 new members every four days. There's an amazing conversation going on there right now that you would learn from, enjoy, or be able to help with. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by AG1. Drink ag1.com slash juice box. When you use my link with your first order, you're going to receive a free welcome kit. That's a scoop, a shaker, and a container. You're going to receive five free travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D. That's all with your first order. If you use the link drinkag1.com slash juice box. I'm Jules. Um, I'm 25. I'm an artist and I live in Philly. Okay. Uh, artist. Self-proclaimed. Went to art school. How did you become an artist? Oh, just fully self-proclaimed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing like fiber art since like as long as I can remember. And I write poetry, things like that. Do you make a living at it? No. No. What? How do you make a living? <laughs> um, right now, I'm unemployed. So how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 23. Oh, this is recent. Yes, yes. Okay, two years ago. Was it out of the blue, or is there type 1 in your family and you were kind of expecting it? No, type one doesn't actually run in my family, which is why it was like so shocking mm-hmm. when I was diagnosed. Um, my dad and my aunt have type two, but nobody in my family has type one. I see. How about other autoimmune issues ranging from my sister? Yeah, my sister is celiac. celiac. Sister celiac. Um, any bipolar in the family? Yes. Do you, can you just like loosely say where you don't need to be like it's my uncle Jim, like, but you know? Uh, you uh, no, I it's actually me. I've been diagnosed with bipolar. How how long? Um, I was diagnosed when I was nineteen, so that's what like six, six years ago. Okay. Anything else? Thyroid? No. No. Okay. So for you, your two diagnoses are type one and bipolar. And I actually have migraines too. Migraines. Thank you. All right. Tell me a little bit about when you, well, let me ask a question first. Were you, which were you diagnosed with first? Um, Bipolar. Bipolar 19. I'm sorry, you said that? Okay. What's that like? And what leads up to the diagnosis? Um, So it's actually 
like really like so dramatic. <laughs> um, I so I was having a really bad migraine spell, and a doctor prescribed a steroid for me, and he didn't listen to me almost at all. He was just like, "Here's a medicine." Um, and he was like, "This will be an aggressive treatment." And I said, "Well, I'm struggling, so I will take this medication and trust you that it will be safe." And in fact, it was not. And I mean, it had a ton of like physical side effects. Like I was really dizzy and I wasn't able to eat or like walk. I was really weak. Um, but then I started, you know, not sleeping very much, um, having all of the like typical manic symptoms of like thinking I was the smartest person in the world, um, you know, having so many ideas, thinking really fast, talking really fast. Um, but then actually like, this is kind of where my diabetes story starts, even though I wasn't diagnosed until I was 23. Mm -hmm. Um, I started taking this medication called Zyprexa. Okay. Do you know that one? I'm looking it up as you're speaking. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's a antipsychotic. Um, the thing with Zyprexa is that it's been linked to diabetes, um, typically type two, but in, I want to say like 2004 or 2006, there was a study, or not a study, but there was this like class action lawsuit from a bunch of people who had taken this med and were like, hey, uh, I have diabetes now and I did not have diabetes before I took this medication. Hmm. And of course, like the drug company like paid everybody off. They never admitted that it was the medication, but it's still sold today, which is like blows my mind. But yeah, I mean, I think that's like how my diabetes started developing. And I will say, like, I don't think it's only the medication. I think it's also, like, like environmental. Because, um, like, you know, trauma can affect the development of diabetes and things like that. I'm sure there's other things that have affected me. Hmm. And it's, I'm sure it's in my genes, even though no one else I know has it. Yeah. What, what was... Um, so take me back before that. Like, what's life like for the first 18 years? Is there any indication? Are you depressed overly moody like is there anything going on do you have a lot of trouble in your life or was it just like clear sailing and then all of a sudden the headaches came no i mean i've been depressed since i was like 14 okay yeah and like i think i had kind of like light kind of manic symptoms like i would have times where i'd be feel really down and then be like oh my god life is so amazing and beautiful but i was obviously like a child so it didn't kind of manifest in the same dramatic way that it did when I was 19. Mm -hmm. What well, What's the, um, I, w I want more context for, I felt like the smartest person in the world. Yes. I think it's kind of, I think they call that like grandiosity, but it was essentially like, I was just kind of up all night thinking, having all of these ideas and like seeing the big picture, at least like what I thought was the big picture. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh my goodness, no one has ever thought these things before. <laughs> so that's kind of where that came from did you fix the world during your your did you did you no, write, did you write down a manifesto not. or anything where <laughs> Jules was like i got this hold on a second um, looking <laughs> no, back looking yeah, yeah looking back on those were your thoughts valid or do you look back um, at them when you're not manic and think oh wow these are like grandiose thoughts um i mean i think some of them are one thing i was really struggling with and so the, I was in college when this was happening. Mm -hmm. And I think you, I'm sure you know this, a lot of colleges like do not treat their disabled students very well. Um, and so that's one thing I was like really thinking about a lot of like how all my friends like interacted with the college and how I did as like a person who had migraines. And so I was like, oh my gosh, no one is seeing how all of these dots are connecting. I and I mean, like it was true, but I also think that people probably did. Yeah. 
What What was your intention when you went to college? What What did you think you were going to study? Um, I actually thought I wanted to be an engineer and be a math major, but I took some math classes and decided that I hated it. <laughs> were you good at math prior to that? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Did you, you didn't graduate, correct? I did graduate. Oh, you did. Oh, okay, cool. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if this struggle was enough that got you out of it. Um, so you graduated with a degree in? In anthropology. Anthropology. That was a big switch. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> did you make that decision after your bipolar diagnosis or before? It was before. Before. Okay. So the headaches come, the medication comes for the headaches. Is that what they're for originally? Because I, I'm trying to follow what you said. Like there's, um, first of all, am I spelling the drug right? Z-Y-P-R-E-X-A? Yes. Okay. So the only, like, the only results I can find searching is that there was, looks like in 2009, Eli Lilly, um, pled guilty to a charge that illegally marketed their antipsychotic drugs, Iprexa, for an unapproved use. There was a payment for that to settle civil lawsuits. Um, that's an NBC News article. And then the New York Times says Lilly agreed to pay $500 million to settle 18,000 lawsuits from people who claimed they had developed diabetes or other diseases after taking it. Um, mm-hmm. And that lists the um, drug as being for schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you take, but they give you that just for the headaches? Or do you think at that time the doctor saw you as bipolar? No. So I took a steroid for the headaches. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah. And so the steroid kind of like set off all of those really intense mental health uh, symptoms. I see. Headaches, steroids, then this Zyprexa, then the diabetes. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But your sister has celiac. Yes. Gotcha. All right. I think I understand. Okay. So does the medication help for the bipolar or where, where does it land you? So, I mean, I think to some extent it helped, but mostly in the way that it like numbs you out. And I actually don't take it anymore. Um, do you want to hear the story of like my diabetes diagnosis related to the medication? Yeah. I want to hear the whole thing. Go ahead, Jules. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so when you start taking, so actually when I first started taking this medication, they like lied to me. They didn't tell me it was an antipsychotic. Um, they were like, it's a mood stabilizer. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love having stable moods. Um, so I started taking it about, I want to say like two weeks, maybe like three or four weeks after somewhere in that time frame, I saw a different psychiatrist and he was the first one to say like, hey, by the way, you know, some people get diabetes after taking this, but he didn't, he really downplayed it. He didn't make it seem like that was a big deal yeah. uh, or something that happened frequently. And it was also the whole, you know, like di- uh, bipolar is a lifelong diagnosis. And so you'll need to be taking this medication the rest of your life. And you don't necessarily need to take this particular one, but right now you're unstable. So you have to take it in like whatever. So I took it for a long time. Um, one of the big problems is it probably could have been caught earlier if I had like regular access to a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but I was in college and like psychiatrists are expensive and like the one who took my insurance, I like really did not like him. I got up this morning. I went downstairs. I got my shaker, my scoop, and I put a scoop of AG1 in the shaker, filled it with cold water and gave it a good like that. You know what I mean? 
and uh, it dissolved, and I drank it. Whoop! Rinsed out my shaker, and was on my way. I bet you I didn't spend, I mean, let's be fair, two minutes doing that, probably? And it tastes great. I know AG1 tastes great because I've tried other supplement drinks, and guess what? They were uh, bad, horrible, and it made my tongue mad at me. But not AG1. I love AG1. It's easy to mix, easy to drink, easy to do. AG1 can replace your multivitamin, your probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since 2010, they've improved the formula for AG1 52 times. This is in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutritional supplement possible. And they do that by using high-quality ingredients and rigorous standards. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash juicebox. That's drinkag1.com slash juicebox. Check it out. Why did you not like the one that took your insurance? He was just like not very compassionate. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Very matter of fact. Yeah. I see. Um, I have to say, I can't find any, like, you know, online, I can't find any connection between Zyprexa and type 1 diabetes. It seems like yeah. it's, it's specific to type 2. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah. So the reason that I think it's connected, um, and this is just like anecdotal, mm -hmm. but I've noticed, so I mean, like, I stopped taking this medication for a while. I started taking it again when I had like another crisis. And at this point, I was already like diagnosed with type one and this was in 2021 so this was the year after my diagnosis i started taking zyprexa again and obviously like in the first year i really didn't need very much insulin at all i think i was taking literally like two units of traceba and like some humalog for meal times mm -hmm. but when i started taking the zyprexa my insulin resistance went up like so much and by like maybe like month one or two of taking it again um, I was taking like 30 or 40 units of insulin all of a sudden. Okay. As opposed to like the five or 10 that I had been taking before. Okay. All right. I wonder, well, I guess there's no way. It, it's so hard. Like, cause like you said, it's completely anecdotal. I mean, if you had type one, you right. might've been honeymooning and then all of a sudden not been and needed more insulin as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I mean, my like working theory in my brain of how this might have happened is that I'm sure I have like the gene or whatever that influences type one. Mm -hmm. What I think, I think like probably my diabetes had been developing for a while, just kind of like under the radar. Um, but all of that insulin resistance that I started having when I started taking the medication, you know, made my pancreas work a lot harder. And so like part of it was being attacked by me, my immune system, part of it was working really hard. And I'm sure that didn't help with like the progression of the disease. I also wonder, did you ever get a diagnosis for the headaches? Yeah. What What do they think causes those? Uh, they think it's just migraines. Migraines. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so through school, you're dealing with both of these things, probably not the not the diabetes. Diabetes is after your graduation. Yes. But are you dealing with them? Like, like let's do them one at a time. The bipolar thing comes up. Do you have family who is helping you or are you on your own with this? 
well, in theory, my family was helping me, but they didn't really do anything that was like actually helpful, if that makes sense. I, so my dad just took me to the hospital. He, yeah, he like took one look at me and was like, you're doing bad (laughs) and like took me to the ER and I went inpatient and that was obviously like a really horrible experience. Going into a hospital for mental health stuff is a bad, was a bad experience. Yes. Did you go in um, voluntarily? Technically, yes, but I didn't really have a handle on like what was actually happening. Like because my migraines had been so severe and I was having all of these side effects from the like steroid, I thought I was like going to the hospital for like all of those physical things that were going on. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like a few days later that I realized I was like, oh, I'm in psychiatric care right now. Oh, wow. So you were in such a state that you weren't even certain how that happened that's interesting right i was i was so out of it yeah do you have you talked to your like your father your or people in your family afterwards like did they describe to you what about your like yourself made them say oh this is it he has to go somewhere well i mean i think like my dad saw me like not being able to walk and things like that or like not being able to walk long distances and being really fatigued um but i think it's actually kind of funny looking back I, like, had this whole master plan of, like, how I was going to sue my college for all of, like, the disability discrimination that was going on. Mm -hmm. And my dad, like, heard about that and was, like, (laughs) red flag. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, this sounds wacky. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gotcha. And and nothing else in, like, your dad didn't ever say, like, oh, I've seen this before or, so this is all new to him. Right. Yeah. Wow. It must be difficult. Do you think about that ever? Like, like, what a... I mean, because it's happening to you. So you obviously have one perspective of it. But people around mm-hmm. you who are just like, you know, living their lives and there's jewels and, you know, and then all of a sudden this stuff starts happening. I don't know if I would know what to do either, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's been really hard for me to kind of deal with of like knowing how harmful that experience was, but also understanding like he thought he was doing what was best for me. Yeah. Yeah, how and tell me more about the experience and and why it was harmful. Um, well, mostly I was just like I didn't I had no idea what was going on, like no comprehension of like why I was there and like um I mean so many like just weird things kind of happen. Um one of the biggest things is that I wasn't sleeping. Um and a hospital keeps you on a pretty regimented schedule and so they would like turn my lights on at eight in the morning and get me up, even though I was up until like six in the morning. So I was just like, so like confused. So out of it. Um, One of the other like super weird things that happened is that they put me in a substance abuse group, even though that was like not an issue that I was experiencing. Okay. Were you (laughs) using anything at all? Yeah. I mean, I was, but it wasn't to the level of like, uh, like disorder or like something that was harming me. What were you doing at the time? Just weed. Okay. And, uh, but they heard weed and then put you right into substance abuse. Right. Did yeah. The, did the weed help you at all with any of this or? Oh yeah. I use like medical marijuana now. It's really helpful. Um, it just helps with my pain and like anxiety. Mm-hmm. So you have, so t- tell me about the ebbs and flows of bipolar. Like it, it you're, more functional at times and then manic do you get depressed then or are you just manic and oh yeah i got so depressed (laughs) um so what's funny is that um 
since my bipolar diagnosis, I've actually like worked with my current psychiatrist to kind of like get undiagnosed with that actually. Because every time I've had like a manic like episode, it's been caused by something physiological. So like that time it was the um the steroid. In 2021, like pretty shortly after I was diagnosed with diabetes, I started, I like first started taking insulin and I was taking too much. And so I was getting all of these low blood sugars in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I'm sure you know, like how blood sugar affects you. It's awful. Um, And like, especially when you're waking up every night at like two in the morning with it. And I was getting all of these like, you know, shaking, feeling really tense, feeling really scared and not being able to make it back to sleep. And that kind of like escalated into like me just having all of those like symptoms again. Um, Like especially when my body doesn't sleep, like that's when kind of like all of the wacky like thought patterns start happening. Does the weed help you sleep? Sometimes. Sometimes. How much do you have to smoke to get an impact? Like you take a couple hits or you have to get blasted or like what's the what's the the amount that helps you? Um, so I actually typically take like concentrates from the dispensary mm-hmm. and I do have to take like a good amount cause I just like have developed a tolerance at this point. Right. Are you vaping it? No, not typically. No. Okay. Um, okay. So looking back on all of this, because I, it's interesting because, well, let me say, let me say why I find it interesting. Because you're a person in the middle of an episode. I don't know what to call it. I'm saying episode. And um, mm-hmm. you're also trying to judge what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. And 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 so I can see somebody listening and saying, well, Jules says it was a bad experience, but Jules was also in the middle of, you know, some sort of a breakdown and a crisis. And so, are we, but I wouldn't want to dismiss your experience. So how do you make sense of the input that's coming into you and how do you judge it? What do you mean? Like the input? Well, like when things are happening around you, like, like, Mm -hmm. is it it not possible that if like, you're like, you know, I got put into a substance abuse program, but it wasn't right. And blah, blah, blah. But like, is it possible that a person off to the side, who's not going through what you're going through would say, yeah, I know Jules feels this way, but this is very necessary. And like, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, I, I guess it feels like that the world's coming to you through a different lens. And, mm-hmm. and I I don't know how to separate what is actually happening from what you feel like is happening. I don't know if I'm being mm-hmm. clear, but is that better? Uh, yes, that makes sense. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, what I would say is, uh, sorry, I'm gathering my thoughts. No, please. Um, but... My, so my dad, I'm sure was like, yeah, that was absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. But I, I actually, my wife and I were together at that time. Um, we weren't married yet, but we were together. And one thing we've talked about kind of like consistently since that happened is that um, there were ways that I could have been taken care of that didn't involve a hospital. Like mainly when I kind of get into that like manic, like headspace, it is a lot more like I just need help taking care of my physical body because it's really hard for me to eat. Um, and like sleep and stuff Mm -hmm. and if that stuff is taken care of it's not really like I'm a danger to myself it's just kind of like I'm having a bad time and that's kind of what was going on like that first time this ever happened was like I would have been okay not going to the hospital Um, but that's just kind of like how it played out yeah and I guess in the beginning like you know that now but in the beginning nobody had a context for that at all 
Right. Yeah, right. I see. Oh, so right. And like my dad had never seen me like this before. Right. He's probably scared. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Okay. So I'm sorry. You said you're married. Mm-hmm. How long you've been married? Um, since 2019. So about it'll be four years in August. Okay, but you knew your wife prior. You've been dating yeah. for a while. I see. Mm-hmm. So like 19, married. Gotcha. Um, okay. So how does that work in a relationship? Like, like, because I, the one thing I didn't get an answer to, and it's just, it's my fault. I got away from it, but I'm assuming there's ebbs and flows to your, Mm -hmm. to your state of being. Like how long do they last for? So depression lasts like way longer than, well, (laughs) that's interesting. An interesting question. Um, I would say, so I think I was telling you about how in 2021, I was starting to have like more like manic like symptoms because of those low blood sugars that were happening. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like set off a train that was going for like six months. Like I, I just like really did not sleep f- more than like four hours for like six months straight. Wow. And that really affected me. I think like the biggest way that affected me is that it's really hard to keep track of insulin um, and like when you've taken it, what your blood sugar was, um, I kept forgetting if I had taken it or not. And so I guess that's a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, yeah um, no, no, no. But exhaustion, yeah. I mean, already is going to impact blood sugar. And, right. And I see what you're saying. So you get so tired, you can't even track what's happening. Right. But and it was scary. Yeah, It's no. like scary to not be able to do that. Well, yeah. I mean, that you, you because, right, you get into that moment where you're like, do I need insulin or don't I? If I give myself some, am I mm-hmm. going to get it too low? Or if I, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 wow, that's uh, terrible. So how did you, did you, are you, were you able to figure it out or did you just live like that for six months? <laughs> um, I kind of just lived like that. I ended up going to the hospital again in July of that year. Um, Cause I, that was like one of the things I was experiencing. I was like, I can't do this by myself. And I was like, for some reason, I was like, I trust a nurse at a hospital to do this for me, even though like they they really had no idea what they were doing. Right. Um, so did you like, yeah. check yourself in for diabetes reasons? No, for mental health. For mental health. But but thinking like, at least I'll get some help with my diabetes while I'm there as well. Right. It was like, at least I don't have to worry about this aspect yeah. of my mental health right now. Like I can just focus on like my actual mental state. Right. So, so was that a valuable experience for you? I would say also no. (laughs) (laughs) I think like, um, I mean, I honestly think just like from my first experience going inpatient, I don't think I realized like how much trauma was in my body from that experience. Um, And then I, went again and I was just having this like really awful trauma response that I didn't even know what was going on. I thought I just had some like mystery illness, Mm -hmm. but I was like, you know, I, one thing that's super weird that happens to me sometimes is my hands and feet will get really cold. Um, and I learned that that's because like when you're in fight or flight, all of your, uh, like blood flow will go to your major muscle groups because your body's like preparing for you to like run away or like fight or whatever. Yeah. And so I, I was like, really tense my hands and feet were really cold i was shaking all the time and it like i was like is this what like withdrawal is like but i wasn't withdrawing from anything so it was just like a really um it was a really intense experience and i think my biggest issue with like a psychiatric hospital is like 
the medication aspect of it because they really just don't tell you what the medications are or what they do. They're just like, we think this will help you. And I took this one medication. It's like an older antipsychotic that just like really was so uncomfortable in my body. Like it really made the muscle tension so much worse. That's crazy. I mean, that's just, it's, yeah, it's, um, the idea that you're so feeling something like, like obviously, you know, like fight or flight as an example, it's so necessary, but it gets turned up to a million and then Mm -hmm. all of this happens. And I don't know how you're supposed to, I don't know how you're supposed to traverse that, you know, like, it's just, it's like the switches in your head are just sending too much of one thing or not enough of another. And, and then these are like the physical manifestations of those things happening. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. and then you don't match society's idea of how you should be and so they try to medicate you to put you back. What right. would, what would you want to have happen? Um so this is actually something I think about a lot now that I've had like multiple hospitalizations because I never want to go back. Mm-hmm. Um mm. it's traumatizing, it's awful. I don't think any like psychiatric survivor thinks that they had a good experience, but So one thing that I've been, like, working on, like, the past kind of, like, what year is it, 2023, like, year year and six months is kind of, like, building support systems in order to survive that kind of thing again. Because, like I said, it really is just as long as I can, like, eat and sleep, like, I will be okay. Um, Like, it's not necessarily, like, bad or wrong to feel all the symptoms that I feel. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, like if I can't take care of my body, then I'm like not going to do well. So one thing I've been working on is like kind of getting um, like friends and people in my community to kind of like just be on deck so that like if that happens again, they can like come over and just like sit with me and like, you know, make me a sandwich or something. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I'm working on is just kind of like being like allowing myself to just like feel more safe with my emotions. I think that's another like aspect that made it really hard um, is that, you know, like the first time I had like any kind of like dramatic feelings in front of my dad, like that's when I went to the hospital. And so now my body kind of associates like, Oh, you're having big feelings. Oh, you're going to go to the hospital now. Yeah. And so I'm trying to kind of like disrupt that in my brain and be like, actually like, it's okay to feel scared or feel really sad or things like that right and express yourself without it landing you in the hospital mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how how right. how successful have you been with pulling people like that together in your circle um well the thing is is i haven't had a super like crisis since this has happened but i have like a couple of close friends who i've texted and been like hey like if this happens would you be able to just like come over and they were like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like where we're at in the process right now. Do you, do you think just knowing that they're willing to help is valuable? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would imagine, right? Like just to kind of keep away the fear from looming, mm-hmm. right? Is mm-hmm. it, does it help talking about it like this? Or does it bring it up and make it uncomfortable? I No, I'm not feeling very upset at all right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it feels good to like be listened to. Okay. Yeah, I it's interesting that you've kind of taught yourself to like like the way you just said like I'm not feeling upset right now. I thought, "Oh, I don't ever consider if I'm upset or not." 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I just am or I'm not. Uh, same, mm-hmm. same with like happy, sad, bored, like all of it. Like I, I don't, so you almost are, you've almost taught yourself to step outside of yourself to examine yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can make decisions that, that try to help you get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. What, what what are your goals then? Are you hoping to work? Or are you hoping to do your art? Like, yeah. So I'm actually I just completed a certified peer specialist training. Are you familiar with peer support? Uh, I mean, I know the the concept actually. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I have the certification in Pennsylvania that I would need in order to like work in that field. Um, and I'm currently work looking for employment, like within the peer support specialist, um, you know, field. How long did it take to get the certification? In Pennsylvania, it's a 75 hour training and it was spread out over like four weeks. I feel like there's somebody else who's been on the show who had their struggles and then went this route with their profession and they're doing really well now, but I don't know if it's exactly peer support, but I do remember his name. So I'm looking it up right now to see if I can figure it out. Um, Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to try to figure it out and get back to you on it. Cause I don't want to take up our time here doing this. Um, yeah, no with, 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 I don't want to, I don't the silence while I'm figuring it out. And so do you think that, the process of helping other people will help you stay on track? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think like the biggest thing for me is that um, I don't believe that psych wards should exist like at all. (laughs) I think like right now, like as we are, like they are an important function of like, if you really don't have a place to go where you can be safe, like that can be a place. But I think just the concept of like locking someone up. Yeah is really harmful and i think that like as a society we kind of need to build more pathways for people to like you know maintain safety through a crisis Mm -hmm. and i think peer support have you heard of a peer respite house before peer respite house i haven't heard that no yeah so it's like similar to a psych ward in that it's like a crisis center you can it's open 24 hours you can go there but the like main difference is it's based on like the recovery model not like the medical model that a psychiatrist would use. Um, It doesn't lock you up. They won't like require you to take medication. And it's just kind of like a safe place for you to go where you can like meet a peer supporter and just kind of like survive. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like the direction that I would love to see happen of like, there isn't one in Philadelphia, which is where I live, you know, like my ambition for myself which I don't know if will be realized, but like my ambition for myself is for there to be one in Philadelphia. And like, if that means me starting it, I think that'd be really cool. Like, I would love to do that. How how do you like envision that working? So like when someone's in a crisis, you you would bring them in and do what? Like, how would it be different than the model that exists now? Um, Well, the biggest thing is that, um, I think I like mentioned this a second ago, is that um, peer support is based on the recovery model, um, which is basically saying like, and I mean, this is also my personal belief system. I don't necessarily think like psychiatric disorders are like a disorder or something wrong with you, but the recovery model also says like, you know, you have strengths and we want to work with you and your internal resources, like in order to kind of like build you back up and like bring you back to a place where you feel safe. 
versus like a psychiatrist or like a psychiatric hospital would be like, you know, you're having symptoms, you have a disorder, and so we're going to medicate you for this disorder. Mm. So that's the main difference. I think just in general, like the, I think the most important difference is honestly, like there's no lock on the door. I think that's like what can make us like word the most traumatizing is that like if you're having a bad experience there you can't just leave and if you're in like a respite house like that is open to you and you are allowed to do you think that they're not allowed to leave those situations that people aren't allowed to leave those situations for safety reasons i mean that's what they say yeah um i mean i think like in my experience a lot of it is that they want to, because you're taking medication, they don't want you to leave until you're kind of like on a like quote unquote stable dosage of it. And you're like, symptoms have kind of evened out, mm-hmm. which takes time. And I, I mean, they like, in theory, want to set you up with like some kind of outpatient treatment program. Um, but that doesn't actually always happen. Like my dad was recently hospitalized and he kind of just went to like nothing. He went to say that i'm not sure i understand what was he hospitalized for he was hospitalized for like depression and anxiety oh okay oh that's interesting so did did your experience help your dad like bring his to light or did he know already oh no he definitely didn't know i think i don't think he even fully realized like how much his anxiety affected him until until like he had this kind of like crisis Hmm. one thing that i think is kind of funny is i think I mean, I'm autistic, and I think, like, you know, the whole autism is genetic thing. Um, I think my dad is likely autistic, too, and I think that's kind of, like, played into his experience in a way that he doesn't recognize, or at least doesn't recognize yet. Right. Is that, an, is that a diagnosis for you? When did you learn that? Um, so I actually self-diagnosed, and I think I realized when I was maybe, like, right around the time I actually first got diagnosed with bipolar is when I started to be like, oh, maybe this is a possibility instead of bipolar. So what are the, what are symptoms or ideas that led you to that? First of all, like the medication inducing all of this made me really be like, I don't think this is like a genuine bipolar diagnosis. Um, And when I look back on that experience, a lot of, a lot of just like what I was experiencing kind of lines up a lot with autism in the way that like I was really overstimulated when I was in the hospital and that was like causing a lot of distress right? Like the bright lights, the like constant noise. I think about also like communication. And I mean, I think that's another thing that kind of goes when you're not sleeping very much is that it's really hard to kind of like form coherent thoughts. But I think also like I struggle with communication just like in my day-to-day life. And I think like having that kind of crisis, like really just highlighted it versus like creating a problem that wasn't already there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have an example of struggling to communicate with people? Yeah. I mean, things like I don't really understand idioms very well. And I think just also there's a lot of like a kind of nonverbal communication that goes on that I'm not always able to pick up on. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you, um, is sarcasm, does sarcasm miss you too? Typically, I actually do understand sarcasm, sarcasm pretty well. You get. Idiom, like, that's interesting. That's an, that's a, that's a, like, so if you, um, I just literally Googled examples so I wouldn't have to come up with them. But like, if I said you hit the nail on the head, you don't, that doesn't make sense to you? That one I know. That's oh. the thing is like a lot of them I've heard so many times that I'm like, okay, now I get it. 
Um, but if it's the first time I'm hearing it, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't understand. You can't, you can't put it together. Yeah. Right. Like that doesn't make intuitive sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what do you mean? I'm not using a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, hit a nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Um, it's just, you know, yours is not the first conversation I've had with somebody who's got a bipolar like diagnosis or even is struggling in this way, even if that's not your diagnosis. And it's, um, it's really an interesting conversation from my perspective, because you are either like you're experiencing life. Unlike what the norm tells us it's supposed to be like, 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 so how the, I guess the average person experiences it. But does that make it wrong or in need of being fixed? Or is this just your experience and you need to get through it no differently than anybody else? Like, do you, are you going to need somebody to come make sure you eat a sandwich every once in a while in your life? Not unlike there are plenty of people listening to this right now who can't make it out the front door of their house without 16 ounces of coffee in their hand. And, and they, they think they're living a normal existence, but they don't sleep enough. Their body doesn't have enough you know, vitamins, nutrients, like they're not taking care of themselves in such a way that they have to like give themselves caffeine to get up and move. Right. And, mm-hmm. and we don't think of that as an issue. Like right. no, no one, no one says, look at all those people going into Starbucks. Wow. They're really living an unbalanced life. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so is the difference self harm because people who don't get coffee aren't going to like do something that is so socially outside the norm that it ends in the harm of them or another person. Like, do you think that's the line? So what I, how I kind of conceptualize it is that psychiatry is kind of based around work and school. Um, Like if you look in the DSM for every like disorder to be diagnosed, um, there's like the little caveat that these symptoms are like causing impairment in your like work or school life um so a person who's like relying on coffee and not getting enough sleep like if they're still showing up to work on time and they're still doing their work like they probably won't be diagnosed with anything Mm -hmm. um it's really like when it gets to the level of like you're not able to like perform your little capitalistic duties that you get diagnosed with something yeah yeah i i it's interesting i i don't probably fit your vibe but that is kind of what i see is that like that society has a a stream right that just flows and as a collective we don't want people interrupting that stream and if Mm -hmm. they do then we move them off to the sides and and by the way i don't know that that's not needed to keep a society moving but it's it doesn't make it right or fair to the person who gets slid off to the side because of it like what Mm -hmm. does it hurt like the the life you've described, obviously, I think first of all, let me make sure I understand. Not what you would choose if you had the choice, right? Mm-hmm. Like you'd just you'd probably prefer to just get up in the morning, go to work, do something you like, come home, hug your wife, paint the walls, like that kind of stuff. But so it's not it's not a life you would choose. But since it's it's given to you, and you have no ability to say no, thank you, I don't want this. You you don't want to be marginalized. You still want to live your life. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I about getting all that? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I've like heard a lot of psychiatric survivors talk about is that um, 
the DSM and like just psychiatric diagnosis in general is like meant to be destigmatized, right? To be like, oh, a lot of people literally say like, oh, you know, my depression is just like diabetes where it's like this physical thing that's going on. I take medication for it. You know, it's my like, then I feel better like that narrative. Yeah. But I actually like I've experienced a lot of like negative consequences just because of my diagnosis. Um, One thing that actually happened is that after so I was in college when I went to the hospital for the first time and I wasn't allowed to come back. I was allowed to finish my classes, but they were basically were like, you're a danger to yourself and you can't live in your dorm anymore. And so like things like that are like. I don't think it's necessarily bad to like treat a mental illness because like if you're suffering, I think you deserve help. But I think like diagnoses can be so stigmatizing and like affect, like, have you ever heard about how, um, you know, someone with a bipolar diagnosis might not be top on the list to get like a liver transplant or things like that because they're seen as like irresponsible or like will make bad choices that will like impact, you know, their success. Yeah. I didn't know that, but I, I, as you're saying it, it, it stands to reason that that would be the thought process on that side. Mm-hmm. And then can you tell me, um, they, they wouldn't let you come back to school because they said you were a risk to be a harm to yourself. And I, I mean, I unfairly like know a little bit about your story more than we've said so far. So why would they think that? So one thing that happened is I actually met with a psychiatrist, like there's like a school psychiatrist who basically decided this. And she saw me when I was in the hospital. So I was like really, really doing poorly. And I think that's kind of like what she based her decision on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thing too, is that they never communicated this to me. They never said like, this is exactly why we're doing this. They were just kind of like, this was her decision and she's the doctor. So we will listen to her. Yeah. Did you, have you ever tried to hurt yourself? No. No. Have you had ideation? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is that is that fairly common for you uh back then, now or where? So I mean back then, no, it wasn't really something I was experiencing. I think I like kind of alluded to this when I was talking about how hard it was to take care of my diabetes when I like wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that's the point where I was like I was really scared I was gonna like accidentally overdose myself on insulin. And I was like, you know what? I would rather just like take my own life so I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, like if it's going to happen by accident, I'd rather like do it on purpose. Mm -hmm. But no, at the time, I wasn't really experiencing anything like that. Um, It didn't have to do with like why I was hospitalized or anything. Yeah. Did you ever have a plan? Yeah. You had a plan. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you knew the method, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Did that go into anyone's decision about where they wanted you to be? So, I mean... While I was with my wife, they weren't super concerned about that because they were like, you know, I can keep you safe in our home um, and I'll just like be there with you. But I was really scared. And I was like, I actually that's why I like took myself to the hospital the second time in July 2021. Yeah. I was like, I am really scared. I'm going to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you have enough perspective to see why someone not experiencing what you're experiencing wouldn't want that around them? I mean, I think so. I think it just kind of goes along with, like, kind of the diagnoses that I... Like, bipolar is a really stigmatized diagnosis, like... And I think, like... I think there's just, like, a normative expectation of, like, how you're supposed to be. 
And I think like probably like schizophrenic people experience this to some extent too, maybe even more so than someone with a bipolar diagnosis. But like, you know what I mean? Like I was acting like not myself. Like I was like saying wacky things and like um, things that didn't make sense to other people. Yeah. And so I, I do like see and I understand why, but I think it also just goes back to like, I don't think that being non-normative is bad. Right. I think it just is. No, no, I don't. I agree with you. I'm trying to figure out when does it feel to someone else like, I don't know, like what's like a bombastic example I can use? Oh, it, I like my house kind of quiet. If I walked downstairs and there was a rave in the living room, I'd be like, I need you all to leave. Like, like this mm-hmm. is not a thing I want around me. And if they said, well, this is who I am, I'd be like, mm-hmm. ah, go be you somewhere else. And, and, and so. It's it's just such a. I can what I want to say is that I completely understand as best I can your perspective, and why your life should be yours, and you should live it the way that it's getting lived. Like, like the way I'm living is as much to do with how the chemicals in my brain are are dialed up as your situation is. Right. Like I can't like take credit for the fact that I don't have the issues you have. Right. Just as just as you can't take blame for yours. Like it, it's mm-hmm. not on, it's not on purpose. It's not it's a thing that happened. And um, right. and, and, and so everyone's deserving of their. Of their peace of mind and, and the, to live their life the way you know, the way that they want to or that they have to, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It's just such a difficult issue. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And I was wondering how much of that, like, you can, um, I don't know what the right word is, like, like how much of that you can appreciate and how much of that is lost because it's your situation. Does that make sense? I don't know if I understand. I don't, I'm, I'm trying to like find a way to like make the example, but not, uh-huh. I, but I don't want to like, I, my example is not apples to apples, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm walking down the street and a homeless man is talking to himself and running after me, that is, that's his body living the way it's tuned. And mm-hmm. it's not, it's very likely not his fault that he's like that. I still mm-hmm. don't want to deal with it. Like, like, oh yeah, I fully it, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, yeah. but, but as a society, as a, as a as a as a thoughtful society, we should be dealing with it. We should be trying to help. But then, mm-hmm. what happens if the help that we can think to give is not the help he wants? Because that right. fe- that feels like your situation. Like, there's a world that you live in, and a world that's built to help people with your. With, with your, I don't know, your situation, right? And mm-hmm. you don't like the way the world's decided to help you. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't know what the answer is beyond someone in your situation being the person who offers the help. But then how the hell does that happen, Jules? Like, because isn't it possible that you won't be able to fulfill that responsibility if you were to set something like that up? Do you see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I don't know. Like it's it's so I'm flummoxed by it almost feels like we're living on two different planes of existence. 
but mm-hmm. but yeah, to, I know but, what you mean. But together, I I hope all that made sense. Like I, it does. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think my response to that is kind of like, I think, just like the mental health system is so narrow, right? Like, there's like kind of one path for you to take if you're diagnosed with a mental illness, and like to some extent, you have agency of whether you take medication or not. Not typically like in an inpatient setting, um, but people with like less severe conditions like don't necessarily aren't necessarily like forced to take medication Mm -hmm. but when i think about the example you gave of the homeless person one thing i think about is like how many of their problems would go away if they just had a house um like would they be experiencing their mental health issues to that extent like if they were just not living in such a stressful situation Mm -hmm. and like maybe instead of automatically taking them to a hospital like what if what if we gave them a house and I think there's a lot of things that kind of like fall under that umbrella. Um, like things like food insecurity can really affect your mental health. Things like poverty. Yeah. Even just like kind of living under chronic stress. A lot of us, like most of us, are expected to work like way beyond our capacity that our bodies are able to work. Um, and that can lead to all sorts of things. And like it makes a lot of sense that you would be distressed like under that circumstance. And so I think like the way I conceptualize it is like, I think there's so many ways that we could help mental health that aren't like the psychiatric system. Yeah. We just don't do it. Yeah. And those systems aren't in place. And you think that that doesn't happen because in a, in a society that's built like ours, it's, it's structured around you succeed, you get things. You don't succeed. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't have things. Like, I, I, listen. I'll tell you. I don't take a lot of time off. I definitely don't take as much time off as I should. Um, mm-hmm. But last week, for about eleven days, my wife and I just we we left the house. Like, we just went off and visited our kids, and you know, did that kind of stuff. So I wasn't working for. Let me think. I left on a Friday morning. Drove all day. Spent Saturday through Saturday with my children and then on Sunday drove all day came home but I didn't give myself off Monday <clears throat> excuse me I got up in the mor- I got up in the morning and I went back to work and I'm tired now and I I I must have worked 3 weeks worth of my work to go away for 11 days and then mm-hmm. and then the stuff I couldn't get done before I left I pushed into this week and I'm I just got done telling somebody I have to get through this week so that I can maybe recenter myself for Monday. I have so many different support systems around me that even though I'm making a ton of bad decisions for myself about my sleep and my workload and my anxiety and uh, you know everything that goes on in my head, I'm going to get through it because I was mm-hmm. a- because I was able to build structures around me to hold me up. And I was able to do that because my parents were able to raise me in a situation where that was possible to put me into a situation to better my life. And all you need is one thing to go wrong and you not to be able to build those structures for yourself the way the society allows you to build them. And then it's just a spiral after that, I imagine. Mm-hmm. You do, mm-hmm. does, does that make sense? Like I'm trying to put myself in that position, in a position that I'm obviously not in, but um, I could be if I didn't have a place to live, if I didn't have money, if I didn't have, you know, health insurance, I'd always be worrying about the most basic things and mm-hmm. with, with no way out of them. 
I see what you're saying. I think <laughs> I, I think I'm following you. Yeah. Wow. So what makes you want to come on the podcast then? I just wanted to tell you about like my diagnosis story and kind of like how diabetes has like played into all of these things. Mm. I think like we often don't talk about like the intersection of diabetes and mental health. Yeah. So diabetes is difficult on your best day. Um, right. Yeah, right. So once you're dealing with all these other things, some things that are skewing your ability to sleep or eat or focus, does your wife help you with that when it gets difficult or are you just struggling? I think to some extent they do help, but it's kind of like I have a lot of trouble like letting them help. And I think it's also like diabetes is a 24 hour um, kind of thing. Like if I wake up at two in the morning and I have a low blood sugar, like I like most likely I'll be like the one going to grab the juice box from the fridge. Mm -hmm. And like there, you know, my wife works. And so um, I can't necessarily like have them there 24 seven. So I think to some extent, like it is like, I have to kind of carry a lot of it by myself, regardless of if I do get some help for it. Yeah. Is there anything that helps like, like, structuring your day certain ways or i mean you said you're not working at the moment so i mean obviously i think you have more time and that probably is valuable um but what do you have in place to help yourself i mean i think like the diabetes tech has helped quite a bit yeah i actually i'm not using a pump right now but i was for a while and i think like having things kind of automated just like helps with a mental burden like quite a bit Mm mm-hmm can I ask you, I, I want to make sure I'm not doing the wrong thing. You've referred to your wife as your wife first, but then I just got they and them in a sentence. So am I doing okay for you? Like, I'm I'm not misspeaking? I don't think you've misgendered them. They do use they, them pronouns, okay. um, even though they're my wife. I did not know that. So I just gotcha. like, just now I went in reverse and I was like, did I mess this up? Um, okay, good. Uh, so you can't count on the person with consistency it does need to be on you um Mm -hmm. are you having the outcomes that you desire with your diabetes yeah for sure well that's cool do you have a cgm yes so cgm sometimes a pump mdi right now um Mm -hmm. and do you follow any kind of an eating structure I mean, I try not to restrict my eating because, like, this is, like, part of my autism is that it's really hard for me to eat food sometimes mm-hmm. um, just because of, like, texture can be really overstimulating. Um, so, you know, I do my best to kind of just, like, keep myself on a schedule and, like, eat around the same time. But I don't, like, restrict, like, what foods I eat, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Describe that to me. You put a food in your mouth that has a texture you don't like. What happens next? Oh, I just, like, can't eat it. <laughs> Like, the whole meal is just not going to go in my body. You can't just push that thing aside and continue on. No. It, it throws you way off, I see. Yeah. Do you think of yourself as... How do you... What am I going How do you think of yourself? Like, when you... If, if I said to you, if we just bumped into each other on the street, say we were speed dating or something like that, and um, and I said, tell me about yourself, what would you say? I mean, I think, like... Probably something similar to how I introduced myself at the beginning. I don't like to introduce myself in terms of like professional kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I usually hold on to 
kind of like mental health diagnoses until like later on when I meet someone because that I just always worry about like the perception of that and what that looks like. Sure. Do you do you have a friend structure around you? Like, do you have a bunch of friends? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do how do you think they would describe you? That's interesting. I guess like one thing I think about a lot is that um, my friends and I really enjoy astrology. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm an Aquarius and kind of like that. That's how I like get described a lot. I think it's like a lot of my traits are very like classic, like typical, like Aquarius. Right. So I think probably what my friends would say is like, I'm, I'm like an intelligent person. I like, like to have kind of like stimulating conversations. You know, I like to read books. I like to just, I'm a very like playful and like silly person. Yeah. And I'm like compassionate. What kind of books do you read? Right now, I, I've actually been reading a bunch of stuff about psychiatry. And then also I'm reading like some fiction. I'm reading this like YA book that I read when I was a kid. Um, and I've been reading a lot of Shirley Jackson. You like, do you like to escape when you're reading? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Hold on. I had another thought. Uh, oh, it was wrapped around your friends. What do you guys, when you get together, like when your friend group gets together, what do you do? I feel like we get together around like small parties a lot. Like we'll just kind of like have like my friend had a birthday party for their dog last year and we had like a little Super Bowl party. Um, I also play D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing we do. Um, and I like to just like be outside. Yeah. Like go to the park, go hiking, things like that. You called yourself. Um, uh, did you say you were pa- compassionate, empathetic? How did you describe yourself just mm-hmm. now? Um, yeah, I said compassionate. Compassionate. Does that lead to you doing things for others, or does it lead you to feeling bad about the things you're not doing? No, it definitely leads me to do things for others. Like definitely small things. Like um, my friend got top surgery, and I like drove them to their like you know pre-op appointment and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like so, just you'll help when you can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you see other people's struggles. Are you empathetic? Like overly or to a level that you're comfortable with? Definitely to a level I'm comfortable with. Good. I was around something the other day where someone was just putting everything on themselves. You're like, Mm. I need to know this because I have to. And I was, and I was, I'm thinking like, that's none of that's true. Like you, you are not like, no one's expecting you to do this. You, Mm -hmm. You know, like it's a thing they put on themselves. So it's a, there's a healthy line in there between caring for people and making and it making you feel like you're failing constantly. So that's why I asked, and it was just kind of fresh in my head. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, so you said you haven't had an episode in a while. How long has it been? Well, I haven't had like a manic like episode since 2021. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I kind of struggle with just like, I don't even know if at this point I would call it depression. I think like I... Right, like right now, I'm feeling a lot of just like grief and rage, and those are like my primary emotions. But I don't necessarily think that's like anything like clinical, you know. How does it? How does it manifest? Start with grief. Like, what do you mean you feel a lot of grief? Mm, I mean, I feel a lot of just. I think this kind of goes back to being an Aquarius. I feel a lot of like grief for like the collective of like you know all the people who die because they don't have health care because of COVID or like how the earth is being polluted. And I think I kind of grieve like the lives that we could have if we lived under like 
a different, even if we lived like in a different time period, like all the things that would be different in our life and all the ways that we could like access joy and like access community and things like that. We, we, and I think, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. If you have something to say, go ahead. I can hold my thought. Yeah. And I mean, I think it just kind of shows up as like being sad a lot. Okay. When you think of living in another time period, do you go backwards or forwards? Usually forwards. Okay. So the, the idea, yeah. the idea that it, these things will, will have more clarity as a species, hopefully in the future. And that you yeah. were kind of born in a time. Do you ever think, well, at least I wasn't born in a time when, I don't know, but you know, a hundred years ago, I mean, honestly, just, just with your mental health struggles, 50, 60 years ago, someone would have loaded you up on a drug, thrown you in a room and you never would have come out again. Right. They, exactly. Yeah. I'm very grateful. I did not live in that time. Right. And that's not that long ago. I know. Yeah. 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 Right. Like I would have gotten a lobotomy if I was born in like 1920 or oh, something, well, you know, <laughs> very possible. Like, yeah, no joking. Very possibly. Like uh, my kid, one of my kids asked me one time, like, why is, why does it feel like homelessness is, is expanding? And I said, dude, 60 years ago, anybody who showed any mental health would have just got thrown into a facility. You never would have seen them again. Their family, mm -hmm. like families used to drop people off. Like, mm -hmm. like almost with the like, well, this one didn't work out. Here you go. Mm -hmm. you, you, like, like mm -hmm. that, that kind of thing. And, um, and so when you think about the future, you're hoping almost like in a Star Trek way that things are, are maybe we find our way better and what, how nice would that be if everybody could kind of live like that? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. So does you, do you not feel any, so the way I think about that is that I look back at progress. Like when I hear people think, say things like things are so bad right now, I'm like, well, Genghis Khan's not chasing us around the continent. So it's, <laughs> it's actually not going so bad at all, you, you know, mm -hmm. or, um, or, you know, even people talk about like, like social things from the, the time. And I'm like 50 years ago, this was way worse. Like we, mm -hmm. we are absolutely moving forward and, right. and, and it's just not fast enough for my life. Like it's not going to, it's, it's not going to, um, it's not going to hit me. Like I'm not going to get the benefit from this. Like that I understand a sadness about, do you feel that way? Like stuff's going to get better and I'm not going to be here for it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like kind of what we're all living through right now is like, we're just all living through a crisis. And I think there's going to be a time after the crisis when like we can kind of, you know, repair as a society, but I think we're not at that point. And I don't know if we'll be at that point during my lifetime. Yeah. And so, and you can't let go of that. The idea that like, this is it. And I'm just going to ride the ride I was given. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think grief is a healthy feeling to some extent. Like, I think grief comes from love, right? Like, it wouldn't be a loss if we didn't, like, love what we're losing. Um, so I try to think of it like that as, like, it's a necessary and, like, it's kind of like a hopeful feeling, too, I think, in a way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so are you not able to just say... Like, this is it. Like, there's a, like, society is under, mankind is under a slow progression. This is the piece of it that we get. And, like, because that's how I think of it. I think, like, how cool is it that when I was your age, right, like, computers were just, like, barely valuable in people's lives. Or that, you know, like, 
cell phones. Like, like I, I'm, I, I have this thing. You have a thing, right? It's got more computing power than the thing we sent the first space shuttle into space with. Like, that's that's crazy. And and I'm getting to see all this. I I have said this, Jules, and maybe you'll find this interesting. I once said to somebody, I would give away the last ten years of my life to come back for one year every hundred years. Just, mm. just, just like if I'm going to die at 75, let me die at 65. But a hundred years from then, I get to come back for 12 months. And then a hundred, like I would love to see what happens. And I think that's an existential problem. Like, like that's just the, that's hard to regulate. Like, and, and if, I guess if you're, I guess if you're having difficulties already, like do those thoughts become intrusive and you can't get rid of them? What happens there for you? Well, I guess that's a really cool idea. I that's I would love to come back for a year, um, a hundred years from now. Yeah. Um, no, but what I think about a lot is I think like in 2021, I was experiencing this a lot. It's really hard to kind of conceptualize like all of the ways that oppression, it's hard to like sit with all the ways that oppression has affected me and not like, <laughs> like not lose myself in it because i think a lot about like i'm a disabled adult and that affects like every aspect of my life and right like being a diabetic i'm about to turn 26 there's like always that fear of like what will my health insurance look like in a year mm-hmm. and i kind of forgot where i was going with this well, actually well let me let me say this and see if it comes back to you i, I think that we are not capable yet humans of taking in as much information as is currently available to us Mm -hmm. and you're trying to process more than your brain was meant to do like you are not supposed to know what's happening to the people in sub-saharan africa right now you're not supposed to know about that that's a thing Mm -hmm. happening to them they're in an ecosystem that's almost all to themselves we invent travel right so now you can go to places and see what's happening somewhere else. Okay, fair enough. But that's still linear, right? You have to go there, stay there, be involved in it. You either decide to stay and now you're a part of it or you decide to leave and it's gone again. You don't know about it anymore. But now mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. know in the course of any day, you know about every lawsuit, every company that's done something wrong. You know about every person who was shot today. You know about every, you know, the homeless statistics, you know, the statistics about fentanyl, you know, that there's a cartel here doing this and you know that there, you know, there's homelessness here and you hear about, oh, in California, there's encampments and God, that's terrible. All those homeless people, you're not meant to figure those things out. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and, and, but now you're trying to. And, that, and right. that, that's overwhelming. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like really the crux of it is that like, you know about all these things, but you don't have the power to make it better. Well, you have two options, right? You can either dead, you can either pick a thing and dedicate your life to trying to help it, which you, which, which I don't know if that would take away your concerns about everything else, or you do what, what adults end up doing, which is just saying like, I have no agency over that. It's not a thing I can concern myself with. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and say, uh, I'll tell you how I make myself right with it. The planet's been here for much longer than we know. And we're all here. So mm-hmm. basically, if I do nothing, everything's still going to be okay. 
Um, and, and what is okay. Okay. Is whatever's going to happen because we don't have that much sway over it to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, you take things like, like, like there's one person who might tell you like, Oh, slavery, that that's over. But then another person might say to you, well, no, there's slavery all over the world still. That's true. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's Mm -hmm. terrible. There are girls and boys right now who are imprisoned in places as sex slaves. That's a real thing that happens in 2023. You and I can't do anything about that. Like, like, right. or, or you could, you could go find a foundation who works in that and put your, put your ass into it and to put all your effort into it and try to help it. But, and you, you should, but if you want to, but you have to let go of the idea that you can impact all of these things. And that, because, I mean, that, I mean, I was just going to be colloquial and say, like, it'll make you crazy, right? Right? Like, like mm-hmm. if you really mm-hmm. look at all the things that are wrong, it, it, if you can't say to yourself, time will eventually smooth this out, or it won't, but I hope it does, uh, you know, and I'm going to just, I don't want to say something stupid, but like, think globally, act locally, right? Like, I'm going to live the best life I can. And that's how I think of it. Like, I'm going to do what I think is right. And I hope that that has a ripple. And mm-hmm. and and hopefully that ripple will impact people. And and it can do it personally. Like, it's impacted my children. And hopefully they'll do that, you know, so now maybe it'll be more like skipping stones. And my ripple will create another ripple and maybe it'll reach farther. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, you're, you're a lovely person. And I, I hate to think of you out there trying to figure out space travel and homelessness on the same, <laughs> in the same day, Jules. Because <laughs> those, are, those are big ideas, you know? I, I don't know. Like, is do you know that intellectually? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's something, like, as I've kind of, like, I don't want to say grown up. I'm not, I don't feel grown up. But <laughs> as I've like transitioned to my 20s, I think that's something I've been kind of reconciling with is like, I really like I, I can't fix it all as much as I want to. Mm-hmm. I it honestly like it feels like I can't even do that much at all. Because um, a lot of like mutual aid work that goes on around me is like, requires you to either like donate money or to like donate labor and i don't really have like either of those to be able to donate and so i think like that's something i've been kind of reconciling with too is that like there are ways i can make an impact and i think like the way that i kind of think about that is just kind of like affirming the value of every human life feels like the biggest impact that i can have of just being like treating everyone as if they're so important um because they are and like doing what I can to kind of like support the people who are in my life. Right. Even if that's just giving them a ride to the doctor, you know? Yeah, or, and you're in the city, right? You're in Philly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could volunteer at a, at a shelter. You could, you could ladle soup. You could do a lot of things that would actually physically help somebody in that moment. And maybe that would mm-hmm. make, maybe that would make you feel better, you, you know, like to, to be physically doing something. There's this thing that, that listen, there's two things here I want to talk about. So when I was younger, I was idealistic like anybody else. And you'd look at older people and you say, oh, they don't care. They care about their money and they care about their retirement. And they're, they're not thinking about the world anymore. But but as I've gotten older, I've, I've thought, well, that is true for some people. But there are other people who've just seen the writing on the wall so many times that they're like, I'm going to stop banging my head into this wall. Like, this is how this goes. I don't seem to have any impact on this. And it's not that they don't care about it. They let it go. 
my mm-hmm. my my wife and I always said that a good measure of ourselves will be as we become more successful as we get older, do we stick to the values that we had when we were younger? And and, mm-hmm. and we've we've done that, but my perspective is different. You know, mm-hmm. being like there for big there's a moment in our conversation where you said like you know, if homeless people just had a home, like, and I thought, yeah, that makes to- total sense. I talked about having structure around you and everything, but you know, there are plenty of people who are going to hear that and go, Hey, if you want a house, get a job and buy it. And, uh-huh. and like, and so when those are those, like those two kind of feelings, the middle is the utopia, like drawing everybody into the middle. So everybody can see everybody's side is how you end up at Star Trek. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I, I, I've used this example before, but somebody I know, like kind of periphery, we were talking about the hurricanes that now happened like 15 years ago in, in New Orleans. And uh, this person said to me, well, why didn't they leave? And mm. I, I responded and I said, can you imagine for the want of a car, not being able to save your own life or, mm-hmm. or, 50, or $50 to get on a bus? And just say, hey, go mm-hmm. go that way. You, you know, I was like, I said, some of those people are in such a state they couldn't even afford or conceive of how to save their own life. Like for an amount of mm-hmm. money, you might go to a restaurant and blow tonight on a meal for a couple of people. They could have got away. And instead, you're watching them standing on the roof hoping for a helicopter to come to them. And your response is, why didn't they leave? Like mm-hmm. that, that's reductive. Y- you know, and, 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 but I get what he's saying. Like, and cause then as I, I made that point to him and he said, well, yeah, man, but I went to high school and I paid attention and I went to college and I paid attention and I got a job that didn't pay anything. And I worked hard at it and I moved up and I'm like, I see where he's coming from. And, but I responded with some of these people are involved in what would be generational poverty. Like they don't, mm-hmm. they have no pathway there's no light in front of them they don't know where to go you know their expectations are so low i think that that they they can't even conceive of how to get out of this and you have now a decision to make you could you could see their situation and even if it's honest not be so harsh or you could choose to be more um uh generous with your interpretation of their situation and and help them you know but but Jules, I want to. But what I wanted to tell you is, is that social media has. Here, here's here's a perspective. For, the reason I told you the first story is so I could tell you this, right? Like, I have a different perspective than I did when I was young, and one of the perspectives I have is of people your age and younger who think that putting something on Instagram is advocacy, mm-hmm. or or that they're changing the world with a picture or by putting up a quote or something like that, that they're going to, they're going to create this ripple, you know, five likes at a time. And, and I'm going to tell you that it'll make you feel good and you will be signaling to the world that you think in a, in a generous way about this. I don't know how much it helps anything because in the end, the people with the money still make the decisions. Mm -hmm. Does does that make sense, Jules, what I'm saying? Yes. No, that's something I, like think about sometimes too yeah because i mean sometimes i think it's like a performance almost oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's virtue signaling they're just like look i right. think i think the right thing i'm okay mm-hmm. Y- mm-hmm. you know and and it's funny because i'm a person i think you would 
I think if you and I sat down privately and talked about a ton of different social issues, you'd be like, hey, I think Scott's on the right side of a lot of this stuff. I don't spend any time telling people how I feel about it. I just do it. You know, like I made this podcast to help people and it mm-hmm. does and it does. And great. I don't spend a lot of time telling people that, that I made a podcast that helped people. I just keep making the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I wondered for you if actually walking outside and doing a thing doesn't really matter what it is. Like if you wouldn't feel more grounded to reality that way. Like, like step away from your phone kind of an idea. Um, yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? Yeah, because it, it you're already a person in your situation, right? Like, go back over it. You describe being depressed as a kid. You, you get these headaches. It turns into bipolar. You've got, you're not sure that that's your actual diagnosis. You think you, you have some autism leanings and you get type 1 diabetes. That's a lot of shit to happen to a person, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, all of your input is telling you that the world's not right and you have to fix it and you have no pathway to fix it. I wouldn't want to live like that. That would, that would be, 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 that would be painful. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but it's just, those, <laughs> those are the things I wanted to tell you. So. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think like what I've been working on in the last few months is really focusing in on like, what do I have agency to do as a person? Yeah. Yeah, like this might sound silly, but I want to plant flowers this year. And that like feels like a way that I can like make the world a little bit better. It's a great idea. That that's an absolutely terrific idea. And put yourself in charge of of being responsible for them. Mm-hmm. I I find I find that that caring for something that has no real need, meaning it it can't it can't tell me. Like you screwed up, but I still treat it, but I still treat it like it's the most important thing in the world. I think that's helpful. I also think, I don't know if this is connected or not, but uh, people, I, I keep cactuses, not a lot of them. I have a few of them and I've had people tell me like, though they're bland, like there's no flowers and they grow so slow. And I said, yeah, I think cactuses teach me patience Mm, and, mm -hmm. and, and, the, the explanation to that is they grow so slow and they need so little from you, but you're still responsible for it. And, mm-hmm. and you learn to look at that thing once a year and say to yourself, oh my God, it grew a half an inch. And that, mm-hmm. and that feels like a real accomplishment. Like I kept yeah, this, I mean, I, you know what I mean? I kept this thing alive long enough and it grew a half an inch and and most people would say, well, that sucks. Like it's a half an inch. I want it to grow three feet, or I want it to be huge, or I want it. To, uh, and I say no. I say that's what that thing wants, and that's what it needs. And I'm facilitating it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I swear to you that having a cactus has made me a more patient person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I want to yeah. see. I want to see it blossom. Um, but mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time, and that's okay. Um, yeah. And I think that's part of what has you flummoxed is that you want things, you want it to be 300 years from now, right now, and that's not going to mm-hmm. happen. And you don't have a way of making that okay for yourself. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. You also said rage. That was like a half, an, <laughs> it was like a half an hour ago, Jules. But, um, <laughs> but, but, and I know I'm keeping you longer than I said I would, but I have like 15 more minutes if you do. Like, what's rage feel like? 
I actually wrote a poem about this recently. It feels like lava bubbling <laughs> inside of me. Like it feels so like visceral. Um, and I think it kind of is the same kind of like origin uh, of the grief. I think it's just like a different side of it yeah. of like, yeah, like I feel a lot of rage about like all the people who have power in the world who are like deciding to like harm other people. Mm. Do you ever let it out? No, not really. You should hit something, not a person. Yeah. Like, like, um, like a thing. Like, like, are you? You didn't. You haven't mentioned it yet. But do you have any like athletic leanings? I used to. It's just been really hard in the past like year or so. I haven't mentioned this yet, but but I had COVID in July last year. Mm. Since then, I've had like crazy fatigue. Yeah, I had it. I had it in October. It kicked my ass for a while. It was not. It was yeah. Not good. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a second, but l- let it out somehow. I mean, yell into a pillow, go for a walk, mm-hmm. um, like, like seriously, like hit a heavy, go to a gym. Mean, you're in Philly. There's got to be a boxing gym somewhere. Go into a corner, hit a yeah. bag for 15 minutes and leave. Like, like some way to like, because that's one of those things where I don't know, like how far down this rabbit hole we get, but you know, like you, you hear people talk about like, um, you know, it was it was big for a while to talk about toxic masculinity, right? Like how guys mm-hmm. are like so, rah. but like you know, I'm a guy and it needs to come out sometimes. You, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you just have all this like testosterone and this feeling of responsibility and this idea that you're supposed to be taking care of things and like all that stuff builds up and then we like we live a lifestyle where nobody lets it out anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, that's, I think that's why you hear people talk so like lovingly about hunting and fishing and football and like the things where they can just go be an animal for a while. And it's, and it's a release, you know, and, and mm-hmm. if you, and if you're constantly modulating yourself and telling yourself, these are not good feelings to have, I think then you're kind of denying like the physiology of yourself, like, right. Like, this is how I feel. Like I'm not a bad guy. I'm not going to go out and punch somebody in the face for no reason, but I do need this out of me. I I think about, Mm -hmm. I think about it that way. Sometimes I wonder if you couldn't find a way to let it out. Um, Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm I'm sure there's a way. Yeah. I mean, you got time, figure it out, like try a thing. And if it doesn't work, try another thing, get a dumbbell and, do curls <laughs> like in your mm-hmm. apartment, you know what I mean? Or wherever you live, just like, mm-hmm. like put effort into something. Like I think sometimes just good, honest exercise is a good reliever for depression. And a lot of those feelings too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Lean into it instead of, you know what I mean? The opposite. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to? No, I don't think so. Did I do okay? Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel now? Any different than when we began? Honestly, I feel really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Jules, I made you hungry. This is fantastic. <laughs> is your blood- no, you didn't make me hungry. It's just, it's just lunchtime. <laughs> is your blood sugar um, been okay during all this? Um, I haven't checked. Yeah, it's all good. Oh, cool. That's excellent. Do you um, get blood work done for like the normal stuff? Like, Do you look for thyroid issues um, in your blood work? Do you... Um, you know, do you know where your vitamin D level is? Like those sorts of like things. Yeah, definitely. We check all of those things. Good, good. Oh, that's great. I don't know. I I really very much enjoyed speaking to you. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. No, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, would you hold on a second? Yeah. Thanks. 
A huge thanks to Jules for coming on the show and sharing this amazing story with us. And I also want to thank AG1 and remind you to drink AG1.com slash juicebox. I said earlier, but if you're enjoying the After Dark episodes, there are many more of them. You can find them at juiceboxpodcast.com or in the featured tab of the private Facebook group. As a matter of fact, I'm going to run another After Dark next week. Again, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe or follow in the audio app you're listening in right now and turn on your automatic downloads so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.